Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning. Uh, let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and your journals and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along and keep track with us. If you don't own a Bible, then you can keep that Bible as a gift to you. It's, um, we believe that God's word is what changes our lives, and that's the greatest gift we can give you is Jesus and his word. So, um, and uh, so we are continuing our series and study through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, First uh, and Second Thessalonians. It's a series that we've entitled, In the Meantime, because um, Paul is describing for us in these letters the character, the conduct and the quality of a follower of Jesus as they wait for the return of Jesus. So in the meantime, as we wait for Jesus' return, then uh, we see Paul encourage this church, which um, is a church that he planted during his second missionary journey. He only stayed there three weeks, so there was a mighty move of God just in those short weeks of Paul preaching the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And when the gospel is preached, as Paul has been explaining to us, he didn't use flattering words or he wasn't an eloquent speaker or some brilliant communicator. For, for Paul, the gospel was enough. And as a teacher of the word, there was the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the word of God is preached and the gospel is preached, the gospel basically means good news, the good news of Jesus Christ that Even though we are dead in sin, there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news. And as Paul preached this gospel, lives were changed and transformed. And so if you're with us over the past couple weeks, we looked at uh, the model church in the first chapter. I just love these these verses and these chapters. It's just uh, so rich. You spend a lot of time looking at the foundations of what makes a really good church. And it's not the coffee, even though we might think it's the coffee. Uh, It's not the donuts or the refreshments. It's the people. That's what makes a great church. It's the character and the quality of the people that make up that church. And Paul explained in the first chapter that what makes a great people of God is, one, that they are enthusiastic about their faith. Secondly, that they are an example for other people to see. Thirdly, that they have an evangelistic mission, that they're uh, on mission for Jesus after his heart and reaching people who are far from God. And then lastly, in chapter 1, Paul described that uh, they also have this dramatic change that takes place in their lives, that uh, the church in Thessalonica turned from serving idols to serving and living for the one true God. And so when God's word gets in your life, it begins to take root and produce fruit and change. And that's what was happening in this young church plant 
And then last week we looked at a model pastor or a servant leader, but we also described that not only was Paul describing the conduct that uh, he was living as he served and ministered in Thessalonica, but also for every single one of us who are followers of Jesus, that um, the conduct of a, of a believer as they wait for the return of Jesus should be one of pleasing God and God alone not pleasing other people. In fact, Paul said in another letter, if I was trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So we live to please God and God alone. Secondly, um, good conduct in waiting for Christ's return is to welcome the word of God in our lives, to receive it as the powerful word of God that has um, the power to change our lives. And when we welcome God's word, then it begins to work in our lives. As it works in our lives, then it begins to have a witness in, in and through our lives. And so Paul is encouraging this church to receive and welcome the word of God. And then lastly, we see the conduct of serving other people. Paul said that his reward wasn't having a big church wasn't having 10,000 followers on social media, wasn't having all these people like and repost his uh, Instagram page or whatever it is. It was in seeing people's lives changed. His joy, his reward were people. And uh, ministry is not what you can get out of people. It's what you make them into. It's serving people. And every single one of us uh, have that opportunity to serve the needs of other people. It's really the heart and ministry of Jesus. So these are very foundational chapters. If you missed any of those messages, that was just a very short, brief overview of those past couple chapters. You can go to our website or go to our podcast and listen to them. But uh, today we're going to be continuing what Paul is discussing as far as the, um, the character of a follower of Jesus in the midst of crisis when there's difficulty and hardship and tribulation and trial. And so uh, the title of the message today is An Unshaken Faith because Paul says, I don't want any one of you to be shaken. And sometimes we go through life and experience moments where there is shaking and things really get shook up. And sometimes we get shook up because of the shaking. And that could be a result of many things going on. It could be the result of poor choices that we make, and so we're dealing with the consequences. It could be a result of being a follower of Jesus, and the sufferings that Paul describes are a part of the fellowship of Christ, and, um, and our old life passing away and becoming new. But it can also be a result of God shaking things up in our lives, because we become too complacent or too comfortable, and we're leaning upon and relying on things that are sustaining us in life that God doesn't want us to lean on. He wants us to lean fully upon him. And so the point that we want to remember today as we read through and study this chapter, it's very short, just uh, 13 verses, is that God's strength is unbeatable when life's stresses and sufferings are unbearable. When there's this unbearable pressure that's coming down upon us because of life and suffering and trial, then there is nothing that can beat or uh, supplement the strength of God when we go through these crises. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is how do you handle hard times? How do you deal with trials? Well, sometimes we can become bitter and angry at God because we feel that it's unfair that we're going through such trials and, and sufferings. And so we get angry at God, or maybe we walk away from God. Or maybe we think the opposite, that God's angry with us, and uh, he's not near us or close to us. 
Well, the scripture says that God's near to those who have a broken and contrite spirit, and he has great comfort and mercy for us, the great consolation of God. Sometimes we can self-medicate and try to cope with the pain and the hardship by just numbing ourselves to the pain, trying to take that pain away and not think about it, or we stick our heads in the sand, so to speak, and we just retreat and we withdraw and we build walls uh, so that we're not hurt anymore or have to deal with those issues. Well, there's many scriptures, even Jesus says that if you hear my words and you apply them to your life, you'll be like a person who builds their lives upon the rock. When the storms of life come, when the winds beat, when the, when the rains come, Uh, When the floods rise, then that house will not fall. And it's an analogy for the storms of life. Every single one of us experienced that. I hope that as we finish today, we wouldn't revert to those old ways of bitterness, of anger, or of self-coping in hard times. I pray that we would lean upon the strength of God in those moments. And particularly for these three reasons, as I see outlined in this chapter. One is so that we can be unshakable in the difficulties of life. And secondly, so that we would have an unbreakable maturity. Paul is going to finish this chapter with a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a very short prayer. But it deals with the spiritual maturity and growth that comes when we go through difficult uh, and stressful and painful times. That God is doing something in our lives that we would have an unbreakable spiritual maturity. And then lastly, in Paul's prayer, we see that we should have an unmistakable purity and holiness and blamelessness, that's a tough one, and love. So this is what I pray we as individuals as well as as a church would uh, be able to grow in a little bit more today. So jumping into 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul continues, Therefore, uh, therefore, When we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Everyone say establish. So this is a key word that Paul uses in talking about this issue of being rooted and grounded not only in our faith but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how that takes place. Uh, Paul sends Timothy, and oftentimes God uses people in our lives, isn't that the truth, to encourage us, to support us, to mentor us, to disciple us, to coach us, to pray for us as we often and sometimes experience experience these stumbling, fumbling sort of moments in life of pain and difficulty. And I love that Timothy is dispatched. He's a a man that um, was mentioned in the first verse of chapter one as a companion of Paul. He was a young minister and pastor. He was a son in the faith to Paul. Paul knew his mother and his grandmother. Grandmother, And uh, they uh, prayed for Timothy at a very early age that uh, he would be dedicated to the Lord and that he would serve the Lord. And Paul recognized the calling of God upon his life and he laid hands on him and prayed for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be upon this young minister. And he was often dispatched by Paul to various churches to encourage 
And uh, I think it's great to have a Timothy in our lives or a Barnabas, which is uh, another way of saying it. Somebody who just encourages us to establish us. So this is important. Paul is saying, I want you to be established in your faith. That, verse 3, no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Everyone say shaken. So the opposite of being established is shaking. And so he says, for yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it has happened and you know. Now if you read the story in the book of Acts, the planting of this church, you know that Paul was run out of town from place to place by people who didn't like what Paul was preaching. And so they were trying to destroy and to, to discredit Paul's character and his ministry. And they did the same thing in Thessalonica. He only stayed there three weeks, but they run him out of town. And what is really powerful about the persecution of Christians is that you can't stop the gospel. You can't stop a revival. You can't stop the moving and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You cannot stop uh, the work of God when it's preached, when the word of God is preached and lives are changed and transformed. And uh, so... Even though they were trying to stop it, it just continued to grow. It actually multiplied. And the genuineness, oftentimes when we go through trials, another thing that God does is he's trying to refine us. And he's trying to purify things in our lives. There's this uh, verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that says, God speaking to the children of Israel, I led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to see what was in your heart, whether you would obey my commandments or not. Now, God knows what's in our hearts, so who needs to see what's in our hearts? It's us. And when we go through trials, there's a humbling and a breaking. When we're in the wilderness experience, God is testing and proving and refining our hearts so that we would depend and rely upon him. And so Paul experienced this type of suffering and he modeled for us uh, how to uh, weather those storms of life. And in verse five, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. We'll just pause there. I find it interesting that Paul makes mention of the tempter, Satan. He mentions Satan in verse 18 of the previous chapter. And we know that um, trials and tribulations can also come because there's a target on our back. Because Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the enemy of our souls, the one who's come to kill, steal, and destroy, the one who is tempting you and I to walk away from God or to get ourselves dirty with sin, he's trying to hinder that type of ministry and that type of work. And so uh, Paul says, you know, in my absence, I don't want you to slip. I don't want you to fall back, and I don't want you to walk away, lest the work of God is in vain. And sometimes the work of God, uh, sometimes the work of God includes pain, but it's never in vain. It, it does include pain. It includes a tremendous amount of pain as, as God refines us. And, and the word pressure, or uh, excuse me, the word tribulation uh, actually is defined by pressing. And there's moments in life where the, the, everything can be just crashing down on us and pressing us so very thin. But it's in those moments where we see the strength of God. And so in this first point, we see Paul plead with the church to be unshakable in the difficulties that they're experiencing. First, we see the, the servant Timothy. Notice the, the words that are used to describe Timothy. He's a brother, so there's a relationship. 
He's a minister, so there's a calling and a service, and he's a fellow laborer, so there's a track record. And so with this young minister and young brother in Christ, he was just making himself available for the Lord. And oftentimes the people that just make themselves available end up seeing God work tremendously through them. It's not to bring glory or attention to any one person, but when you show up and you report for duty every single day and you say to God, sir, yes, sir, here I am, send me. What do you have for me today? When you make yourself available as a laborer in God's mission and a servant of of people, notice he's a minister, that's just the word minister means a servant as well as a brother or sister, then we are encouraged to see that God uses people to help root us in the gospel. He was dispatched so that their faith would be established. And oftentimes God does the same thing in our lives. Never underestimate the importance and the significance of relationships and of people in our lives uh, to help root us and disciple us and mentor us and encourage us in our walk and growth and maturity. So Timothy is a great example of that. But we're also, we also see that Paul uses the word appointed. We've been appointed. Really? We, we've been appointed to suffer? Wow, that doesn't sound all that great. But Paul was, um, it's very important that Paul not only comforted those who were, were, were weak and experiencing a lot of suffering, but he also challenged them. And he said, even though you are experiencing this type of pain, I sympathize with you. I understand that it's difficult because I've walked in those shoes and I am walking in those shoes, but listen, I don't want you to be shaken. I don't want you to fall away. And I think that the best defense against affliction is to have Christ as our foundation. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount, that even though we're going to experience the storms of life, then uh, when we do experience those storms, if our, if our lives are on the foundation of Christ and on his word, then nothing's going to make us fall apart. The word shaken means to fall apart and to crumble. And there are some things that we feel like we're all just on the verge of falling apart. And uh, we're going to just shake apart. But God is using those things oftentimes to strengthen our faith. I I find it interesting as well that when um, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee, you might remember this story, and there was a great storm, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And the disciples were with Jesus in the boat, and they went to wake Jesus up, and they shook him. They shook Jesus, who was actually quite peaceful. He wasn't shaken by the storm. And sometimes we're looking at the storm and we're all shook up. But Jesus isn't shook up. He's at peace. And we can have the peace of God in the midst of the storm. But we go and wake Jesus up and we say, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that the storm is here? Don't you care? And that's kind of the wrong question to ask Jesus. Because obviously he cares. He'll never leave you or or forsake you. His mercies and his comfort are, are there for us always. Of course he cares. But you would think that Jesus would wake up wipe the sleep out of his eyes and say, oh, I'm so sorry you feel this way. Oh, let me comfort you. Oh, it's going to be okay. Now, I'm sure maybe he included some of those words, but those weren't the first words that came out of his mouth. What were they? He rebuked their unbelief. That was a pretty serious thing. That's kind of hard for me uh, to think about. And uh, sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing. And, and, and I just love how Paul and even Jesus in those moments Not only comforts, but also challenges. Oh, you of little faith. He rebukes their unbelief. And I think if we're looking at the storm, then faith just gets flown out the window. 
And we're no longer focused on Jesus. And so the best defense against the afflictions and the shaking in life is to have your life uh, rooted and established on the foundation of Christ. That's because we are going to experience affliction and suffering. Listen, the scriptures indicate for us throughout the Bible that when you and I surrender to Jesus, when we uh, uh, give our lives to him, then we sign up for suffering. It's just, a, we're just gonna pass the sign-up sheet right now. Uh, maybe you'll pass it and you won't even write your name because you don't wanna sign up for suffering, but that's a part of the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Paul said that um, I wanna know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you surrender to the Savior, just know you're signing up to suffer. Yay, let's pass the clipboard. Let's suffer. No, it's, it's in the suffering. Suffering is included in dying to self. It's because you're no longer giving in to the temptation of the flesh. That takes some suffering. It's hard to do. And the people around you who you used to run with in life who are not crucifying the flesh, who are continuing to satisfy the flesh, they don't understand it because the gospel is an offense to them. But when you live genuinely seeing the change transform life and you're no longer living for the things of this world or for the flesh, that is a suffering that God uses to produce something beautiful. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. It's a spiritual growth and maturity. Because Paul says, I don't want you to slip up because the tempter is there. I don't want you to fall back or to walk away or to do something different or get your eyes on something else. Notice he says, lest the labor and the work was in vain. You don't want to make so much progress and then just throw it all away. That's because it is very tempting to give up when trials come crashing down. It's very tempting to throw in the towel. It's very tempting to just throw, throw your hands up in the air and say, see, look, I gave it a shot. I'm going to go to church one last time and see if God's going to fix all my problems and if I'm going to be happy and content and joyful for the rest of my life. But that's not Christianity. You do have peace. There is wonderful comfort because there's a great verse um, I just thought of in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 1 that uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in the beginning in verse uh, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You're gonna get some mercy and you're gonna get some comfort from people in your life, but there is no mercy and there is no comfort like the comfort and mercy of God. It's all, it's all encompassing. There's no deficiencies, there's no lack it's a, it's, a, it's a well that never runs dry. It's the comfort of God. And what does this comfort do? It comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast. That's the same word being used for um, being unshaken and being established. Our hope for you is steadfast because we know 
that as you are partakers of sufferings, so also you are partakers of the consolation. So God promises unending and unceasing mercy and comfort to those who are partakers of the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Here's an encouragement. Don't give up today. You might be really pressed. You might be even almost close to being crushed. Paul said, even though I'm, 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 I'm crushed, I'm not destroyed. Even though I'm, I'm beat down, I, I, I still, I carry in me the, the, the body of death, but in, internally, I'm growing in Christ. Internally, I'm being renewed day by day. This is the unshakable uh, faith that we can have in difficult times as we lean upon him. Now, what does this produce? It produces maturity and growth. Notice in verse six, Paul continues, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Notice the words faith and love. Those were the words used by Paul in the first chapter. He said there is a work of faith, there's a labor of love, and there's a patience of hope that is just radiating from you as a church body. And uh, these are the three Christian virtues of, of being a follower of Jesus. He says, wow, this is continuing. This is good news. It's good to hear that your faith and love are continuing. Therefore, verse 7, Brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Even though Paul is experiencing suffering and persecution, he is encouraged by what God is doing in other people. So there's not a pity party for Paul. Paul isn't saying, well, I really want your comfort and God, well, I really just need you know, someone to come alongside me. He's saying, I'm actually encouraged and comforted by what God is doing in your life. So he is others focused. He's looking out for the needs and interests of other people. And so he says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Everyone say lacking. Ooh, here's the point of spiritual growth and maturity. What is lacking in your faith? Now make that question personal as we consider these verses in the middle of this chapter. Is there anything lacking in your faith? Well, actually, probably not. Not in yours, but I know in mine. That's just a joke. Uh, I'm sure you don't have any flaws that God needs to fix, but it's moments like this as we read through the Bible, as we gather in fellowship, as we seek God, there's moments where we can let the Lord examine our hearts and our lives. And Paul desires to do that as uh, the pastor here of this church to see that which is lacking in their lives. So Paul praises the church for them to strive for this unbreakable maturity. Notice, you will be unshakable if your foundation is right. And there is an unbreakable quality of character when it comes to weathering the storms of life. And I think that from time to time I'm putting myself in this scenario that we can be fragile Christians, too fragile when it comes to getting our feelings hurt or getting offended or not liking things or getting uncomfortable and looking at other things that really don't matter. We can be too fragile as Christians. 
I think these verses encourage us, us to be unbreakable in our faith and our commitment and our trust in Christ as um, our foundation, but uh, also in maturity. So the, the, the stronger you grow in Christ, the stronger you are in crisis, the stronger you are when you encounter those trials. And so as he praises them and encourages them, one is he gets a good report. And this is an encouragement for Paul because Paul is encouraged to hear that the church is continuing to grow in faith. Now that's not to say that the church and the people are perfect. Uh, far from it. In fact, in the next chapter, he's going to talk about sexual immorality and purity that is needed. He alludes to that in his prayer at the end of this chapter, but goes into greater detail. There are some issues that need to take place, and that's the lacking in their faith. But Paul is encouraged to see and to hear this report, and he is reassured in the sense that that work is not in vain. And oftentimes, an encouraging word brings hope to someone who is experiencing pain. When they're going through it, notice Paul says, even though I've got a lot of stuff happening in my life, uh, when he hears the good that is happening in other people's lives, it brings them hope. And he, it allows him to stand, uh, to live, fully live, when he sees other people standing fast in the Lord. And he gives this great thanks to God. There's this wonderful rejoicing. And I think oftentimes, this is where I fall really short in my faith, is that when I go through trials and difficulties, then I begin to just be self-absorbed and selfish in the sense of, of, of thinking about my own worries and my own concerns and my own problems. But Paul gives us a different perspective. And I think that our level of joy can increase if we live less selfishly. Our level of joy can increase as we begin to celebrate and encourage and comfort and see the work of God in other people's lives. When we get outside of ourselves and we begin to uh, invest ourselves into other people, taking on the form of a servant that was described in the previous chapters, uh, then levels of joy can increase even though we're going through suffering and trial. And that's kind of like an oxymoron, right? It doesn't make sense. They're... There, um, it's, a, it's a contrast that, um, that uh, doesn't uh, go together. How can we have joy in the midst of sorrow? Well, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. You might not be happy, and it's okay not to be happy because pain is a part of life, and pain is a part of following Jesus. But you can definitely have joy. You can praise Jesus in the pain because you're rooted and established and grounded in Him. Because your faith is growing and the Holy Spirit is producing this new life. Uh, as we walk with him, right? We can have joy as a fruit of the Spirit, even though uh, outwardly and circumstances around us might not be happy, but we can still have, be rooted and grounded in joy. This increased levels of joy Paul describes here by celebrating what God is doing in other people's lives. And then lastly, in this section, we see that Paul desires to see what is lacking this is self-examination. This is the moment where we have to say, is there anything lacking in my life? Because spiritual maturity is the ongoing process of fixing our flaws. Now, you guys don't have any flaws. You guys are perfect. I see that. You guys are just looking great, wonderful, no flaws. Well, that's just a joke, right? This is an ongoing process that God is doing in each one of our lives. Now, trials are an opportunity to fix those flaws because we realize and see, well, I've been leaning on that or, oh, I didn't know that, that was in my heart. Why did I respond that way? Why did I say that? How come I am, is there, is there a root of bitterness that I need to deal with? Now, some, 
across the board, throughout this room, with those online, God knows what's going on in your heart. You know what's going on in your heart. It's not for any one person to go around and judge what is happening. But in these verses, there is a perfecting of what is lacking in our faith. And God desires to do that. And he'll do that through suffering, through pain. So ask the question that we all need to ask, God. Where am I weak? Where does my faith need to grow? We just sang a song leading up into the Bible study today. Lead me. Lead me by your spirit into waters where I, I'm uncomfortable and I can't trust in my own ability or my own strength, but I, I need to be fully focused on you and watching you and my eyes on you because that same analogy with uh, Peter in the boat, another situation, when he looked at the storms, he began to sing. But when he kept his eyes on Jesus, none of that mattered so long as he... Uh, fixed his attention and his, and his gaze on Jesus. And this is the encouragement that in, um, in growing spiritually for God to fix the flaws in our life. And then lastly, there's this wonderful prayer. Look with me in verse 11. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So in the beginning of his prayer, he prays for himself. He prays that God would give him guidance and direction. That's a great prayer to pray to God. If you are in a situation where you're, uh, you need to make a decision or you have an opportunity or there's a couple of options and you need the direction of God, then Paul here gives us a, a great example of praying for God's direction. And that's important because uh, Paul was constantly being spirit-led in the ministry in the sense that he wanted to go to certain places and minister and preach. But he was hindered. Well, he was hindered actually in two ways. He was hindered once, uh, once we know of in scripture, by Satan. But Satan hindered me. In fact, he said that in the previous chapter. But we also know that the Holy Spirit hindered and kept uh, Paul from going in certain places. And so we need to be walking in the Spirit and prayed up and seeking God's guidance and direction in our lives in order to know which way to go and what steps to take and uh, if we're going to pray for God's direction and guidance in life, that means we need to surrender his, to his will. We need to surrender to his plan. And we need, we need to say, okay, God, I know this is very hard for me, but I'm going to trust that your will and that your plan is best, that your timing is best. And Paul was very flexible in that. He had a certain desire. He was desiring to go. He's praying this in this prayer and in these chapters. He says, I want to come to you. I desire and long to come to you. But if it's not God's will, then it's not God's will. And so we can have these desires and longings, but take them to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I pray your desires and your will and your plan and your guidance and your provision in my life. I want that to be uh, my, my compass when I take steps in life. So this is his intent initially in his prayer and then verse 12 and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints so here's the third reference to the return of Jesus uh, so in uh, chapter one, every chapter of First Thessalonians, we see a, 
a reference to the return of Jesus. So in chapter one, as you wait for the return of Jesus, you continue to have an enthusiastic faith that is on mission to serve others. In chapter two, as you wait for Jesus' return, we continue to please God and receive the word and it changes our lives. In chapter three, there's this wonderful prayer that we would grow in spiritual maturity through the crisis and the trials and the difficulties. Paul prays for direction, but he also prays for holiness and for purity. This is the change of life. Notice, there's a lot of things that Paul could pray for, but he prioritizes love. You see that? Love. It doesn't matter how much you know, but how much you love. And love is genuine and real. This is agape, service, sacrificial love. And of all the areas of improvement that Paul could have prayed for this church, It was love that he desired to be on the top of the list for adjustment in our life. Of all the the improvement that could take place, it was love that was the first adjustment. And this is a great encouragement for us, that we should adjust and align our lives with the love of God for the love of other people. And that love would be in keeping with what Jesus said, love of the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe you could just stop, stop right there and say, yeah, there's, there's some, some areas that are lacking in my faith just in that one verse. My loving the Lord, my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength, surrendering all to him. Well, the second one, Jesus says, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a tough one too. To love other people just as God has loved us. Or to comfort and to care and encourage other people just as God has comforted, cared, and given his mercies to us. So there's this adjustment that Paul prays in uh, the Christians in in Thessalonica for for love. And then lastly, he, he prays for purity, for blamelessness, and for holiness. And I think that the closer we get to Jesus, the clearer our sin becomes. Notice that he puts up the focus of Jesus as the source of truth. The word of God is the source of truth. And that is what brings the clarity of sin in our lives. The closer you grow to Jesus, the clearer your sin becomes. You might be thinking, well, actually the less sin I'm going to have. Well, no, actually the more sin you're going to see. So it's this continual cycle of confession. I think the simplest prayer described here by Paul is just a couple of sentences but it's packed with such great meaning the simplest the simplicity of in prayer seeks uh, clarity from God and purity from sin clarity from God and purity from sin God lead me and guide me I surrender to your will and plan but also if I surrender to your will and plan then make me uh, holy and pure and blameless so this is the encouragement from uh, the continuation of Paul's letter. We're gonna have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song, but as always, we need some takeaways here, right? We, we, need, to, we need a little bit of a spiritual homework as we go out of this place. And here's three, just to kind of log, log in, in your heart and in your mind, or maybe even jot down on the side of your Bible in your margins or, or in your journal or, or type down on your mobile device. One is you and I can lean on God's strength When life is pressing down, how are you responding to the pressures? Maybe you're not responding in the best way right now. To lean upon him when life is pressing down. To not give in, not give up, and not walk away, but to be established 
in him. Secondly, to let God fix the spiritual deficiencies in your character. And this deals with confession and admitting those things that God is showing, bringing to the surface through the suffering, through the trial, through the temptation, through the difficulties, to be more like Christ in his character and life. And then lastly, to learn to follow God's leading and flourish in love towards other people. It's a great prayer to pray. God, guide me, and God, purify me. So let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. It is alive and active. It's powerful. And I pray that you would activate your word with the power of your Holy Spirit and do a work that only you can do in our minds and in our hearts deep down inside. I pray for anyone who is going through difficulty right now and life is shaking. I pray that you would comfort them and hold them and establish them and teach them and grow them. I pray also for those who are convicted a little bit this morning about some, some flaws in their faith, that you would perfect what is lacking in all of our lives this morning, whatever is lacking. We pray that you would fill it up to overflowing with what is pleasing to you. And then lastly, I, I pray for those seeking guidance. Would you speak to them this week as they open up their word, as they pray, would you lead them? Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose. It's to prosper us and to give us a hope and a future. And thank you that we can trust your plan is always best. And I pray that we would be able to walk one step with you, one moment at a time. You don't guarantee the whole picture we know that you see the whole picture. We trust you. We follow you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.